Welcome to the Energy Nerd Show, powered by Synapse Energy Economics and Climbable.org. Energy Nerd Show. Hey, Bruce. What's Amy? Who's our guest today? Our guest is Sue Gander. She's the director of the World Resource Institute's Electric School Bus Initiative. Wow. Good morning, Sue. Hey, good morning, Jeannie. Good morning, Bruce. Hi. We're talking about electric school buses today? My favorite topic. That's great. What's up with electric school buses? Well, I think one just went by my street, actually, which is fantastic. You have to put your ears out really to hear it go by because they are so quiet, which is of course one of the benefits. But thrilled that buses um, are coming to my neighborhood and neighborhoods all over the country, you know, thanks to some new federal funding, some great state and local efforts. We're just really excited and working hard on having this transition happen and focusing it on underserved communities and really, you know, getting air quality and climate benefits out there. So it's, it's exciting every, every day to see these buses. That is such great news. And I think it's so important for kids to breathe clean air and for all this to happen. It's, a, it's really great. How on earth is this $400 million going to be deployed? I mean, that's, I read your thing that said there's all this money. And how are, how's that going to get into the hands of the people who need this, these clean school buses? So let me say a little bit about the federal program, which is uh, such a big game changer in this space. So just kind of backing up to November of 2021 uh, is when the bipartisan infrastructure law was adopted. Really thrilled about many, many things in that. And one of the pieces of that was the creation of a new federal program to support clean school buses, kind of falling on the heels of an earlier program that the USEP had run. Um, the significant thing here is that it's um, set up a fund of $5 billion for over the next five years to help school districts and contractors that are serving those school districts electrify um, or start to electrify their fleets. Um, so we actually have had the first round of funding already come out and the purchase orders for the first round are actually due today. Um, so that's kind of a momentous day. That first set of awards was through a rebate program that they ran um, using a lottery and close to a billion dollars um, went out the door for that for close to 2,400 buses, which uh, was huge. And um, I have to congratulate EPA on getting that funding out the door and I have to congratulate certainly all the school district and contractors that are working on incorporating these buses into their fleets and setting up the charging infrastructure and training the drivers and the mechanics. Um, so it's happening. Um, and you know, they're, they're making it happen. Um, lots of work's going into it. It's happening over time. Um, and we're all trying to learn from each other. So this next round, you know, you mentioned 400 million that was just announced earlier this week is the second round of this funding. Um, it's going to be through a grant program. So a little bit different, a little more flexibility, a little bit longer timelines. EPA's shifted some of the approaches there, you know, reflecting some of the comments that they've heard. And uh, I'd say one of the main changes is that there's going to be a floor to the number of buses as well as a higher ceiling. In the rebate program, it was up to 25 buses per school district. Now it's going to be uh, there's two pots, actually. There's going to be a floor of 15 that goes up to 50 per school district application. And then for what they're calling third party applicants that include possibly OEMs or possibly um, transportation as a service provider contractors applying on behalf of school districts, 
as long as they are serving four school districts, they have a maximum of up to 100 buses. So um, that's getting, you know, more buses out there kind of in bigger chunks. And uh, we think that's going to be exciting. Bunch of other changes as well. But the bottom line is there's another round of funding. And the reason why this is also so important is in the first round of funding, they were Ozor subscribed by many, many times. So the demand for electric school buses was, I think it was eight times the amount of money that had been originally available. And so there was a huge demand for this. And, you know, we're excited that now, you know, some of those folks that, you know, weren't able to be accommodated in the lottery and then any new folks who weren't quite ready maybe at the time to put in an application can now consider this application and, and, and move through things. And just, just really exciting about that. That sounds so great. Is there any interesting regional distribution pattern or are they going to big cities, uh, smaller municipalities? What's happening? Well, this is a great chance to give a shout out to our website, which is electricschoolbusinitiative.org. Uh, we have a, a map on there that shows the distribution of the buses under the Clean School Bus Program. And moreover, we, we track every single school electric school bus that is awarded funding or placed into operation all the different stages of the school buses on that website also. So it's going back to 2014 when the first two school buses hit the road in in California up till current day. We've got all that data out there. But in terms of the first round of the clean school bus program, what is really interesting is that there was uh, such a wide distribution of the buses. First off, there was an award for a school district in all 50 states, plus DC, plus to the territories, um, some of the schools serving tribal students as well. So very excited about that. Um, part of that was because of the prioritization that Congress had placed in the legislation where EPA prioritized school districts of need, low-income school districts, rural school districts, and tribal school districts. So that really helped to broaden um, the reach there. So that's really exciting. The other really exciting piece of that in terms of distribution where they're located, and it was all, it was urban, suburban, rural, is where the states fell out. You had New York and California at the top of the list in terms of the number of awards. But next on the list were Georgia, South Carolina, and Texas. And really high numbers of buses going to that region in the southeast. And um, in the latest data that we just released yesterday about where all the school buses are, what you're seeing is that while California continues to lead as having the most number of electric school buses as a state, and you know it's a big state, it has a lot of school buses, a lot of students. Anyhow, uh, the southeast as a you know region very close to that mark. So you're starting to see this distribution flow. Um, Michigan had a number of buses come to it, Illinois, Louisiana, Mississippi, Pennsylvania. Um, so really exciting to see that interest and, and just know that kids in those communities are going to get the clean air benefits. Um, we've seen studies that show kids arrive you know, at school ready to learn, um, the attendance goes up, all these really important factors um, that you know, are, are, are part of why we have school buses in the first place. They're, they're critical to getting kids to school to be able to learn. Um, and what's significant about that also is that it's kids from black and brown communities and low-income communities that rely on the school bus more than their peers. So they depend on the school bus. We want it to be a great experience. We have this new technology and we're able to help school districts. And I say we, you know, EPA and all the advocates that have been working on this for a really long time, you know, we're able to 
uh, help the school districts catch up to this new technology. So that's that's super exciting. Not without challenges. We can talk about that too. Um, but it's uh, just an exciting moment and just see this take off in a really exciting way is great. That's fantastic. In terms of challenges, I know, I know we're here in Cambridge, Mass, and we have one bus, one electric school bus as a pilot a long time ago. And it was sort of uh, disappointing, I think, because we didn't really, we should have had more and then it would have been a, a real program and part of the fleet. And, and because it was just one bus and a big fleet of buses, somehow I think it didn't get the uh, attention that it uh, deserved in order to actually learn from the pilot and use the bus. You know? Yeah, well, you know, those early leaders always struggle the most, uh, but that's how we learn also. We're seeing, you know, many, many more fleets come into the mix, as I mentioned. And actually, great to see that Boston is moving forward with full fleet electrification. The mayor's been a real champion there. And then the state, you know, Massachusetts overall is trying to move the entire state forward and love to talk about the state policy side in a moment. Uh, What I think is significant to us is that there are great developments happening in the technology. And one of the things we do is put together all the information about all the electric school buses that are out there in what we call a market report and buyer's guide. Uh, We're just about to issue our second edition of that. And it's showing that there are more electric school bus models available so that they can meet the needs of, you know, different types of school districts. The battery sizes and the ranges um, are increasing. So there's more flexibility um, to be able to meet more and more routes. And, you know, the charging is coming along as well. That's probably one of the most challenging pieces for any school district. Um, Once they have a bus coming to them is figuring out what type of charging to put in place, where to put it, and, you know, how to optimize their charging so that they can reduce their costs, you know, for that, for that fuel, basically. Um, You know, overall, they're going to face much, much lower operation um, and maintenance costs on the order of, we think about an average of $6,000 a year per bus, which if you add that up over the lifetime of a bus, say 15 years, it's a really significant difference. Uh, But there's a lot of questions that need to be answered as, as they move forward on that. With our kids in in our house, we have a fleet of three EVs. And we think operating costs are way down with, you know, solar and electric charging. It's, really, it's, it's like- fantastic. I mean, that's why these incentives are so important. The delta in the price of a new electric school bus versus a traditional generally diesel bus is pretty significant. And we're not yet at the point of total cost of ownership parity. I know that you all know what that means, but just in terms of lifetime cost of op- owning and operating the buses, factoring all the different things that go into that. We're not there yet. We need the incentives at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level to help close that gap so that once a school district has a bus, they can start reaping the savings there and you know use their funding you know in other ways for other needs and demands. But we're hopeful that as we get to scale, as battery costs continue to drop and manufacturers are able to develop a stronger supply chain, we'll start seeing those initial prices come down and then that total cost of ownership parity, hopefully in the next five, six years um, is what we're, you know, we're seeing out there. You know, you have to adjust and see what, see what it looks like, but that's, that's really promising. And it's you know one of the reasons that so many school districts are interested in this technology. Yeah, and by that point, if you know, a few years out, there's going to be so many electric buses deployed already due to these these programs and all your work, and then uh, it'll become the standard, right? That's our hope. We uh, we talk about normalizing electric transportation for a whole new generation, and if you think about it, what a great opportunity! You've got kids who are getting on an electric vehicle, an electric bus every day. They may not 
you know, have any familiarity with electric vehicles. Um, and their first ride is going to be in this technology. We know, and we've heard from them directly, they're so excited about it. And then as they think about how they move about in the, in the world, um, whether it's through a car or a transit bus or a scooter or a bike, you know, they're going to be thinking about how electric vehicles uh, make sense for them. We just had Carl Popham on the show from uh, Austin Energy. Excellent. Yeah. They're doing a lot. They, they had a cool program about that with buses and um, kind of really integrating with education and the community and the school. And, and so they, it wasn't just, oh, here you get a bus or here you get a few, but, you know, it's, it, it was a whole really comprehensive uh, integrated approach. That seemed- yeah, I love that. Austin is one of the school districts that's adopted a full fleet transition goal. We're really excited about that as well. And Thinking about the learning opportunities with kids um, are really tremendous. Um, we've seen that in other places as well. Um, give a shout out to Gil Rosas, who is uh, had been with Stockton School Districts now with Modesto in California. He's on our advisory council, and he's done a really great job integrating electric school bus learnings into the classroom. It's something that we think is a great opportunity. Thinking about the future of the technology, where the jobs are going, um, you know, this is a great moment to be able to help kids understand this is where you might find a future job is in this is in this area. Is there curriculum shared on your website that other places can adopt, other schools? We're starting to build some of that. I will say there's some good links we have. It's something that uh, we've got in mind for some future efforts. Uh, so, you know, welcome folks to, to check back later. But there are some good uh, programs out there that are starting to take hold. That's great. So are these school buses all brand new or is there any effort to retrofit existing school buses? Well, glad you asked. The question of what what we call repowers um, is something that a lot of school districts are looking into. The majority of the electric school buses on the road today are new, new built, but there are an increasing number of repowers that are out there. Indeed, quite a few of the options that are available are from repower companies. We've seen a big order from Midwest Transit to one of the repower companies, C Electric. For 10,000 repowered school buses over the next five years, they think are going to be of interest to school districts and and getting those getting those built up. So it's an area that we've spent some time looking at. Uh, we just put out a blog on this topic actually um, on that website that I mentioned at electricschoolbusinitiative.org, walking through the different considerations uh, for what's the right fit for you know, taking an older bus, adding in this new electric drive chain, making sure you still have all the safety elements involved as well and can lower the cost significantly because you're using an existing resource for that. In our modeling of kind of personal vehicles and EVs and, you know, meeting climate goals, one of the things that is, um, should be apparent at first blush, but somehow takes a little bit to wrap your head around is how long cars last on the road. And so, and so when we, you know, we have a new uh, target for EV sales and then it takes, you know, 17, 18, you know, I think the average car is on the road for 15 to 20 years. And so there's this real time lag in terms of the impacts and transforming the stock of what's driving around. And so, you know, really points to you, we've got to get moving. I'm wondering how, how long do buses last? They can last a long time, certainly on the order of 12 to 15 years and even longer couple of aspects of that. Some states do have set limits on how long a, a school bus can, can be on the road providing school transportation. A lot of buses, and you're probably familiar with this too, get resold to 
boys and girls clubs or, you know, churches, summer camps. A lot of them also get sold to the global South. One of the things that we are mindful of is that if these are old diesel powered buses being sold, you're really just transferring those emissions to those communities. At the same time, we appreciate that that's a transportation option for them that maybe they didn't have. But it's something that we're looking at, thinking about. There are provisions within some of the different funding programs to try and encourage and even in some case require scrappage so you don't have that situation happening, that movement. But I think what's really important in in this aspect to the point of this is going to take a long time for a transition. We have 480,000 school buses on the road. It's really the largest form of public transportation collectively in the U.S., quite significant. That is going to take some time um, to move through. We have a quite ambitious goal of transitioning the whole fleet by 2030. What's really exciting to us is that a number of states have taken up that mission as well and started to pass state transition rules. Uh, we had the first state do that last year, New York, which set really ambitious goal, but, you know, we think doable goal of getting all new sales to be electric by 2027 and then full fleet electrification by 2035. Uh, they are also able to have a uh, voter passed um, bond provision that's going to provide $500 million in funding, additional funding from what they have already to help support that. So that that combination of let's get the timeline set, but let's also make sure we've got the funding there, make, make sure it's, it's helping underserved communities in particular, let's help with workforce development. All of that is a really important package that states can help put together. And we've seen a a few other states since that time set their own targets, Connecticut and Maryland being two. We've seen a number of states create new funding programs separately, Colorado being one we've worked with closely. And now this year, we're seeing uh, a bunch of new states think about either funding or targets and funding together. So that's really exciting, keeping an eye on States like Minnesota, Washington, Hawaii, California having having some more provisions in as well. So that's something that we're really excited about. Michigan is also emerging as a leader in that space as well. And that that just is so critical to have a signal to the market. One of the other things that that states are doing is adopting the clean trucks rule, advanced clean trucks rule that's come out of California. We now have eight states that are working on that. And that's not just clean trucks, that's clean school buses too. So they're included in those um, sales targets that are part of those rules. And we just had Maryland and Colorado be the two latest states to you know, say that they're going to go through with that adoption. Um, so that's an important part of furthering this transition as well. Would it be fair to say that among all those different kinds of trucks that the electric school buses are leading? I'd say transit buses have been at this a bit longer, um, but we do think that electric school buses have the technology available today to, you know, to be somewhat of the tip of the spear, maybe second beachhead with transit having already moved forward. Um, And we've learned a lot from transit too. Part of the earlier work that the World Resources Institute um, has done that's really helped us has been working in that transit bus fleet transition all, all over the world. Uh, not the same use case exactly. Um, buses are a little bit different, to be sure. Some of the same manufacturers, but some of the same challenges in terms of just thinking how you operate a bus fleet, how you think about the depots and the charging and all of that. Um, so definitely have learned a lot from that. And, and, and now some of the school districts that are going through this transition um, are definitely learning, you know, very specifically from the transit agencies that are in, in their areas that they're, you know, they're in maybe a larger area that that has that. So that's really helpful as well. 
Where does uh, like bust the grid fit in? Is that is that kind of in the distant future, or um, are, are you thinking about that now? It's a very hot topic. It's something that we've been spending a lot of time thinking about and and looking at and talking to manufacturers and charging infrastructure school districts about. I actually was just on a panel uh, about this topic. I would say that the way I described it then is that we're kind of at this freshman year of college, maybe stage. We've seen definitely some great demonstrations happen. We have seen the buses discharge successfully to the grid. Uh, one of those first cases of that actually was in Massachusetts a couple of years ago, and um, we've seen it, uh, you know, in other places as well. Uh, we just did a case study on this uh, for El Cajon Valley in in California. So again, recommend our website to read more about that. Got about 15 utilities across the country, a growing number actually, I should say, that have some kind of vehicle to grid program that they're working on. They're clearly a key player in this. Utilities have to be on board, have to be thinking about how, how you know, how does this really uh, work within their system? Uh, we think one of the really attractive opportunities here is to think about electric school buses and their role within emergency response and resiliency. You already have schools that are often the emergency response center for their community. Well, if the power goes down, they're not going to be able to serve their community very well. But what if they have electric school buses there? What if they also have solar canopies? What if they also have stationary storage and bi-directional charging? Stationary storage and a half a million rolling storage <laughs> facilities. Yeah, right. So we don't think that's going to be the application everywhere. There are some programs out there that will pay school districts for the opportunity and the ability to have the school buses discharged to the grid at opportune times. That's great. Uh, we just caution that that's not going to be an option everywhere. You're not going to see the same revenue stream, you know, in Massachusetts and in Colorado, you know, that you will in Maryland. You know, it's 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 really a case by case situation. But it is something that we think is uh, a really a growing opportunity. It's it's great to think about uh, incorporating more renewable energy as part of that. Students come first. You got to make sure you've got the school buses there picking up and dropping off the kids. But if there's an opportunity potentially in the middle of the day, if they're not being run or in the evenings or in the summer, if there's not a heavy, you know, summer uh, transportation need, then this is, you know, this is a great opportunity to build that into the system too. Well, I love that idea. My work at Climbable, we think a lot about resilience. And here in Cambridge, the school buildings are all being rebuilt. I mean, one every five years or so. And so we've got these gorgeous, amazing net zero school buildings. And in East Cambridge, there's the Valenti Library right next to the King Open School. Solar panels everywhere, super efficient everywhere. And they did not add a battery because it wasn't economic. But again, as you're talking about the resilience hub, the, you know, the shelter or whatever is needed um, in an emergency. I mean, if you put a few school buses at that facility during an outage with the efficiency they've got and the solar panels, that could stay up and running at full capacity for days, right? Yeah, yeah. And maybe even serve, if it's not the school, maybe a nearby hospital or some other facility that that needs that emergency power. So really excited about that. And and if you think about again impacts of climate change, who's who's hurt the worst? Underserved communities that because of, you know, years and years of housing policies and other, you know, discrimination that takes place, 
they're in the most vulnerable community. So let's think about those schools that are in those vulnerable communities that we can help lift up through through this technology. So you know, really excited about that. Excited that again through the legislation that Congress has has put through both the bipartisan infrastructure law as well as the Inflation Reduction Act. There's a number of new grant programs, tax credits, other things that are are helping support this type of transition too. This is so great to learn about. It's very exciting to see it really happening and what a pace. I mean, the goals are really ambitious and it seems more possible to do this transition than the regular consumer car market where every individual has to make that decision. These are municipalities. Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of the EV transition, having a fleet like a school bus fleet is really attractive. You know, that being said, there are 13,000, 16,000 school districts. So those are very individual decision points that are really important. Everybody wants to do it right for their school district. So there is some scale that's attractive here. That's why having utilities work on this is so important because they bring that extra level of, of scale to it. But it is an exciting time. And we think it is something that, you know, communities across the country can be excited about. It's something that has really demonstrated benefits for kids, for drivers. And I mentioned earlier at the kind of the top of the conversation, the quietness of the buses, we've heard time and time again, how important that is for kids with any kind of sensory challenges just overall management of kids in the buses. They can hear what's going on. Um, if there's an aid there for a student with a disability, they can have a conversation with the driver and not be yelling over the noise of the engine. Um, so we think it's really important to think about kids in those situations as we move forward on electrification. Um, I mentioned tribal communities. Again, having that available, you know, that's part of the federal program um, as well and great opportunities there. So for people watching the show who want to learn more, is there um, anything else that you would uh, point them to in terms of resources or? um... So what we try to do on our website, (laughs) electricschoolbusinitiative.org, is have our resources that are available and, you know, whether or not you're a school district leader, a community leader, um, a policymaker, a student, love the student voices. They're so critical. We have different resources um, to look at. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of advocates um, and other organizations have been working on this for many years with great resources as well. So we try to collect as many as we possibly can. The US EPA has a great website on this in association with their clean school bus program. So definitely recommend that as well, um, as well as the Department of Energy, uh, you know, with their resources and the Alternative Fuels Data Center, always a good go-to for that information. Awesome. Thanks, uh, Sue, for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Jeannie. And yeah, hope to have great news to report, you know, in the coming years as we move forward. We'd love to have you back. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Sue. Bye. Check out the show notes for visuals and links for more info on the topics discussed. You can find the Energy Nerd Show on social media pretty much everywhere at Energy Nerd Show or on our website at energynerdshow.com. Thanks for listening. 